and happy Sunday to you. My name is Jake Patton, one of the pastors here, and that was Trip Lane, one of our ruling elders, and again, Adam Radcliffe, who's our pastoral intern, who is leading us in the liturgy this morning. Um, we're glad you're here, and um, if there's anything we can do for you, please uh, grab us after the service. We'd love to, uh, uh, to meet you. Um, we have just finished our series uh, from the Gospel of John, the Upper Room Discourse. And before we jump into a fall series in the Old Testament we have this morning, we're going to be looking at the book of Colossians, chapter 1. So if you have your Bible, let's open uh, together to Colossians, chapter 1. Uh, we're going to start reading in verse 13. If you don't have a Bible, you'll find that passage printed for you in your bulletin. But as we're getting settled, uh, let's, let's start this morning by talking about ice cream, shall we? Delightful. Um, if, I, if I were in the business world, I think I would enjoy being on the marketing side of business. You know, branding, I'm getting your, uh, your product uh, out into view, into the public. And the, the ice cream company Briars had a recent slogan, a recent campaign, and maybe you've heard it. The slogan went something like this. Do you remember, do you remember when ice cream used to be just, just ice cream? And what are they getting at? That there's all these other ice cream companies, and they call themselves ice cream, but there's so many additives, there's so many extra chemicals, there's so many preservatives. Can you really call it ice cream anymore? Right? But not us, not Briars, right? With us, it's just the basics just pure and simple, plain old ice cream. We're ice cream like ice cream used to be, right? Well, for the sake of conversation this morning, let's, let's assume that same slogan was applied to the good news to the gospel. So here's how the question would go. Do you remember when the gospel, do you remember when the good news was just the good news? No additives, no extra elements, nothing taken away, just the gospel, just the good news in its purest, most elemental form? If so, what would those elements be? What would those elements be, those those pure elements? Well, Paul's going to show us uh, in some ways uh, through this passage this morning um, this is Colossians chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 13, and we're going to carry all the way through to verse 23. So Colossians 1, 13, this is the word of the Lord. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to to dwell, and through Him to reconcile Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, He is now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister since the reading of God's Word. Let's pray together. 
Father, you call your word um, a lamp and a light into our path. So this morning, would you guide us? You also tell us it's sweeter than honey, even honey from the comb. And so on our insides, Lord, would these words and what they testify to, would it, would it encourage us? Would it be sweet to hear and to know and to believe? Father, you say these words uh, restore joy, the joy of our salvation. How would we be uplifted? Um, reach down and take us out of the mire and remind us that we are in heavenly places through your Son, Jesus Christ. And we ask this in his matchless name. Amen. Well, it's uh, the beginning of football season, so we kind of have to talk about football uh, this morning. One of the best coaches of the NFL, hands down, um, is Vince Lombardi, and he used to coach the Green Bay Packers a long time ago. And not only was he a really, really good coach, he was also a really gifted communicator and speaker. And one of his speeches um, is, is historic. It goes down in Green Bay Packer history and lore. And so here was the context. Uh, Green Bay had just come off a devastating loss. They lost to a team they should not have lost to. And so they come back to the locker room demoralized. They go home, and they're, they're, they're dreading that Monday morning meeting with the coaches and with the rest of the team. So everybody shows up. They walk into the meeting room Monday morning. Coach Lombardi is silent. Room goes silent. He clears his throat, and he gives one of his most famous speeches. He says, gentlemen, he grabs a football, and he says, this is a football puts the football down, walks to the chalkboard, draws a rectangle, and says, gentlemen, this is a football field. And if you cross this line right here, you get six points. Now, why is he saying the obvious? Why in this story is, is Coach Lombardi going back to the basics? These guys are supposed to be experts in football, right? Why is he going back to the simple basics of, of the sport? Points rectangular field. This is a football. Well, two observations here. The first is this. Um, Isn't it true that when we feel overwhelmed, when we feel discouraged, when we're at an all-time low, this is is usually pretty good advice, right? Just go back to the basics. Just remember the basics. That's, That's pretty good advice across the board, right? Why is that good advice? It's, it's good advice because if you're like me, we have a tendency to, as human beings, to take things that are naturally simple and unnecessarily make them complex. Overly complicated, right? Football used to be simple. Ice cream used to be simple. Relationships used to be simple. Now they're complicated, right? And in, in the context of our passage this morning, Christianity is meant to be simple, it's not meant to be complex, only for those, you know, who have, you know, master's degrees and, and PhDs. No, Christianity at its core was meant to be simple, but, but like with everything else, anything we touch, we overcomplicate. The Lord knows this. Paul, as a church planter, knew this. And so in one sense, what we have in this passage this morning is, is Paul standing before us like Coach Lombardi saying, okay, here's the simple truths. Here's the basics. Here's what we've got to get back to. Okay, you're feeling overwhelmed with these false teachers. You don't know what's true. Let's go back to the basics. And what are they? Three things I want to highlight this morning. Um, the first is humanity. What are the basics of humanity? Uh, second, what are the basics of the creator? Who is he? The creator. And the last, the basics of the recreator. 
So humanity, creator, and recreator. Those are my three points. Well, first, what are the basics of of humanity? And and maybe you saw this floating around social media a while back. I got a good chuckle out of it. It was an ad for a car on Craigslist. And the description of the car read something like this. Used car, needs a little TLC, you know, been around the block a time or two, could use a new set of tires. Previous owner was a smoker, $5,000 or best offer. And then you scroll down and then you see the picture of the car and it looks like a charcoal briquette. Not only had it been in an accident and completely totaled, at some point it caught on fire and the whole car was consumed. Okay, you couldn't even tell what color the car was, all right? And we go, okay, just a little bit of embellishment there. You overstated or understated things ever so slightly, right? In this passage, Paul is not going to do that. He is not going to understate. He is not going to embellish. He's going to tell you things as they truly are. The real Craigslist ad as it should have been. And here's what he says about humanity. He says three things. And I couldn't think of a good word to describe this, but he's speaking about our our spiritual geography. Where are we in relationship to God? The first thing he says is, is that we're alienated. Look back at verse 13. The first part of this verse, he says, He has delivered us from where? From the domain of darkness. And jump down to verse 21. And you who were once alienated. What does it mean to be alienated in the domain of darkness? Well, for simplicity's sake, let's just compare it to Eden. What was Eden? The Garden of Eden was a place of light, a place of goodness. And what made it so special was the fact that God and his people were there together, dwelling side by side, right next to each other. And Paul's saying, Eden is no more. Eden is no more. We now dwell, all of humanity dwells in this domain of darkness. We are alienated from God. He is not near. He is not close. He is in the domain of light. He is in the kingdom of his son. And where are we? We are in the domain of darkness. And what's more, beyond our own geography, our spiritual geography, our insides and our outsides are messed up. Look again at the second half of verse 21. Not only are you alienated, but you're also hostile in mind doing evil deeds. You see the inward and the outward? Our insides are wicked. We're hostile towards God. And not just on our insides, but we're doing evil deeds in the face of God. And so when we combine these three things, what are we supposed to, what are we supposed to draw from, from, from Paul here on the basics of humanity is that we're just a wreck inside, outside. This is how we all show up alienated from God, in the domain of darkness, hostile to Him in our hearts, and doing evil things against our brother and our sisters. That's all of our stories. That's all of our backgrounds. There's no spiritual Switzerland. Nobody shows up neutral and then goes dark and then goes evil. No. He says, this is how we all start. This is our story. Boy, if you want to be countercultural right now, preach this. Assume this about yourself. Assume this about humanity. Because you don't hear this a lot anymore, right? We're all just this, this, this ray of light, right? We're all just this, this, this glimmer of goodness. And what Paul says is, what book are you reading? That's, that's not how we start, right? Some people say, well, you know, there's, there's good and there's bad people. Some just don't have the education as like, like others. They just didn't have proper resources or good parents. And so they turn bad. Paul says that is not the story, 
Those aren't the basics of humanity. We show up alienated to God, wicked on the inside and wicked on the outside. You want to go back to talking about ice cream, don't you? That's the bad news. Um, That's the basics of humanity. Uh, But here's the good news. What are the basics of the Creator? This is the second point. Um, And maybe you've noticed this before, but have you ever seen anything paired together that you would go, you know, normally I would not pair those those two things together. Those, Those seem unnaturally paired to me. And we were talking about this in our community group this past week, and, and maybe you've had one of these before, but it's a hamburger, but instead of between two buns, it's between two donuts. You ever heard of this before? Apparently these things sell, and there's a market for them. Um, those are two things I never would have paired together, donuts and hamburgers, right? Here's another one, grapefruit IPAs. Aren't IPAs bitter enough? Don't throw citrus at them. Don't do that to a grapefruit, Right? Um, wouldn't naturally pair those together. When you think about the name and the person of Jesus, what do you automatically associate? What other names do you pair with him? What names come to mind? If you're like me, I immediately think of, oh, you know, Jesus the Messiah. He's the Christ. He's the anointed one, right? He's Emmanuel, God with us. Those are names I, I automatically pair with the name of Christ, um, how far up on your list is, is Creator? How often do you call Jesus and refer to Him as the Creator? Is that new for some of you? It's not new for Paul. If you look at the section here between verses uh, 15 and verse 19, he highlights this aspect and this fact of Jesus Christ Himself. We, we, we tend to assume that, you know, hey, when Jesus shows up in the New Testament in, in the Gospels, that's the first time we hear of Jesus Christ. And Paul says, no, that's not the case. He's present and active in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 in the creation of the world alongside of the Father and alongside of the Holy Spirit. That's the first time we hear of Jesus and His work. He is co-creator. He gets His name down at the bottom of creation to say, created by Jesus. Not only does He create All things, again, look at verse 16. Look at the first part. He says, for by him all things were created. And jump down to the last half of that verse. All things were created through him. Okay, so he's the creator of all things. But notice what the last part of 16 says. It says, all things were created through him and what? For him. What does it mean that all things were created for him? What we're meant to take from here is a sense of ownership and possession Uh, Paul in verse 14 is going to call Jesus something very unique. He calls him the firstborn of all creation. Now, to some, when they've heard this, um, being describing Christ as the firstborn of all creation, they go, that must mean that Jesus um, did not exist at some point if he had to be born. So, Jesus is not preexistent. He he was somehow created by, by the Father. And that's not what Paul is getting at here. Again, we have to look at this passage through the eyes and the ears of a first-century believer. When you say the word firstborn to a first-century believer, what are they going to believe? What are they going to hear? If you're the firstborn only son, what are you entitled to? Everything. That makes you heir of all that your father has. 
And what Paul here is saying about Jesus is not only did he create all things, he is also the heir, the firstborn of all creation. He owns, he possesses everything you know and that you, see, you and I see in this world, in this universe. He owns it all. And I wish I could go on, on further. Paul says not only does he create all things, not only does he own all things, but he sustains all things. Princes, rulers, this earth, everything in it, he sustains it all. So what do we call the person who is the creator of all things, the owner of all things, the sustainer of all things? What do we call that person? Do we not call that person God himself? Now for us we go, of course, that's who God is, but you've got to remember what's standing before these believers in the first century is flesh and blood. The son of Mary, they're going, this guy's the creator of all things? The one that came from Mary, he owns all things, he preserves all things, this man right here. And Paul says these are the basics of Jesus Christ as the creator. That's who he is. He's created all things. He owns all things. He sustains all things. There's a song that uh, our family likes to listen to at Christmas. It's by uh, a singer. Her name is Joy Williams. And um, she is the female or was the female counterpart of the duo, the Civil Wars. You ever heard of the Civil Wars? Alas, they are no more. Um, she was the female counterpart of that duo. She sang a Christmas song a long time ago, and, and she, she kind of she got at this fact that of Jesus as creator. And, and listen to the language. They, they illustrate it very well with this song. It's still a mystery to me that the hands of God could be so small how tiny fingers reaching in the night were the very hands that measured the sky. You're here with us, and it's still a mystery to me how his infant eyes have seen the dawn of time, how his ears have heard an angel's symphony, but Mary still had to rock her Savior to sleep. You're here with us. You're here with us. What are the basics of Jesus as creator? Jesus is everything God is. And in the flesh, before your very eyes, he is God and everything he is in the flesh. Now, before we jump into the third point, um, the recreator, uh, imagine, if you will, for a moment, we've got a a scale, a two-sided scale. And behind the scale is the Father. And this is a scale of worth and value. This is what it's meant to measure And so, on my left-hand side, on your right-hand side, we're going to put humanity. And if what we just heard from the gospel is true, that humanity is evil on the inside, it's evil on the outside, this is how we show up, and we're in the domain of darkness, on the scale of worth, we're probably not going to tip it all that much, right? That's what we would assume. What if on the other side of the scale, we've got Jesus, the creator, the preexistent one, the one that owns all things? the one that preserves all things. Which way do you think this scale is going to tip in the eyes of the Father? It's going to tip towards Jesus, right? He's worthy. He's valuable. He's glorious. That's, that makes sense to us. If the gospel is what it is, if the gospel is true, that makes sense. And if that were the case, John 3.16 should say, for God so loved His Son. Right? We go, that makes sense. But John 3.16 doesn't make sense, does it? What does it say? It says, for God so loved who? The world. 
those who are living in the domain of darkness, those who are wicked on the inside and those who are wicked on the outside. And that should be outrageous to hear. If what the gospel says is true, if we are who the gospel says we are, that should blow our minds. Why would God put us before the Son? It can only be for love, right? And that's what he's getting at in this passage. Well, where do we see that? Um, And if you would, just kind of zoom out for a moment. And I want to look at all of the verbs that are in these 11 verses. And, And here's what's common and unique um, boy, that was just, you know, an oxymoron. Here's what's common and unique. It can't be both. Here's what's special about these verbs. God is the subject of all of them. And you know who's the object of all of these verbs? It should be Jesus. But it's not. Who is it? It's sinners like you and like me. Here are all of these verbs together uh, in a row. God delivers He transfers, He redeems, He forgives, He reconciles, He makes peace, He presents holy, blameless, and above reproach. Who does He do this to? Those who have been alienated and are in the domain of darkness. So geographically, we were were there, alienated from God, and what does He do? Look back at verse 13. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness. And transferred us to the kingdom of what? His beloved son. Well, what about our wickedness on the inside? What about our hostility on the inside? And what about our evil deeds? What has he done with that? Look at verse 14 and verse 20. Verse 14 says, In whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. He forgives those sins. In verse 20 And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. He has made peace with sinners, those who are once hostile towards him. He's the great heavenly peacemaker. Paul is going to go on to say later in one of his gospels that if you are in Jesus Christ, you are a what? A new creation. You have been recreated Through Jesus Christ, you are no longer what you used to be, alienated, hostile towards God, separated from Him. You are something entirely new. And note this, the tense of all these verbs is not future. This is not what God is going to do if you hang tough and if you earn your keep. These are all present tense verbs, which means what for you and me as we read this? These are things that have already happened. You will not be reconciled. You are reconciled. You will not be forgiven. You are already forgiven. You will not be presented one day glorious without fault. You are now in this very moment being presented before God holy, blameless, without fault. That has already been done to you. You are a new creation. And if you've ever moved, if you've ever transferred and moved cities, you know that relocating is expensive, it's costly. It takes money to transfer. Same thing in the, in the kingdom of heaven. This cost has been covered by Jesus Christ through his blood on the cross. He has reconciled all things unto himself. Not only, is he the recrea- not only is he the creator of all things, but he is the recreator of all things. He's doing that now. I want to close with, with this. I like how one writer puts it. 
He says this passage invites us to embrace a great paradox. We need to be pessimistic, but also at the same time highly optimistic. What does he mean? Well, regarding ourselves, regarding our understanding of humanity, be very pessimistic. Doubt your abilities. Doubt your strengths. Doubt your willingness. Be very pessimistic about yourself. But at the same time, be very highly optimistic in what? In your creator, who is also your recreator, who can and will make all things new within you and in this world. Be highly optimistic concerning him. And don't we do the opposite? We like to be optimistic about ourselves. Oh, I can do this. I've got this. I've got to do things my own way. And God, yeah, he's up there, but I don't think he's going to help. I don't think he's really interested. Paul says to the Colossian church, that's, that's not who our God is, and that's not who you are. Be pessimistic about yourself and be optimistic about God. How do we, okay, if these are the basics, if that's who we are and if that's who God is, how do we embrace this from the heart? How do we get in on this? How do we truly become believers of this bad news and of this good news? And let me illustrate it this way. Imagine you are the parent, the new parent of a child. And because you know what's coming 18 years down the road, you and your spouse decide, hey, we're going to save up money because we're going to make sure this kid um, gets to go to college. So from day one, you tell your child, hey, for the next 18 years, be worry-free. Worry not, oh child. Your, your, your mom and I, we have saved up money for you, and we're going to cover school. We're going to cover room. We're going to cover board. We're going to cover everything. Pick an Ivy League school. I don't care. Just know this. It's covered. And here, look at the bank statements. Look at the statements. The money's there. We're not going to touch it. It's yours when you graduate, when you're 18. Now rest. Relax. Now imagine after graduation, uh, you find out that your child took out a student loan. If you were the parent, how would you feel? You wouldn't want to grab your child by the shoulders and go, what are you doing? From day one, I have shown you that this was going to be covered, that this was going to be taken care of. Why did you doubt me? I showed you the money. It was there the whole time. Why did you put yourself in debt again? Why did you do that? And if we're honest, when we hear the promises of God, don't we do the exact same thing? We say to the father what this child would say back to their parent. It just sounded too good to be true. It's too good to believe. So I went my own way. I did things my own way. I provided for myself only to find now I'm in debt. And here's what Paul says. This is not down the road. This is not future. This is the here and now. God is recreating you into something entirely new. And he is reconciling you to himself. What do you have to do to get in on this? Do you have to try out? Is there a to-do list? No. He says all you have to do is have faith. Have hope. Just believe. Act like it's going to be covered by the Father. Act like what the Father says is true. Act forgiven. Act like he's in your corner. Act like you are a new creation. Just believe and just hope. And if you're a believer this morning, and maybe you've been in church for a long time, this is exactly who Paul is talking to. These are believers. 
They've heard the good news, but over time people have said, you've got to be rational. There's nothing that good out there. There's no God that good out there. And they started, their belief and their hope started to wax and it started to wane. Listen to what Paul says in verse 23. Continue in the faith. Don't just have faith. Continue in it. Be stable and steadfast. Don't shift from the, fo- from the hope. It doesn't say have hope. It said don't shift from the hope. Don't move. It is that good. It is that generous. It is that gracious. And Paul says, you want to get in on it? Here's all you got to do. You just got to believe. You got to hope. Don't put the ball in your court. You're going back into debt if you do that. No. Jesus took care of it. He owns all things. He preserves all things. And he is reconciling all things to himself. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together.